All right, man, we are back. Episode 7 of the Mad Manager Show and part 4 of the Rookie Playbook. Are we vets yet? I no. don't I don't think it's it. until you get like double digits. I don't think you oh, can. Okay. Yeah, we still rookies in the <laughs> still game. Still rookie. <laughs> yep. We in our first rookie, rookie year. I don't even think we in our rookie. I think we in a, I think <laughs> we in a G, G League, League right now. And if we get to double digits, we're going to be like on a two two-way contract, you know? And then we get more uh, uh listeners and viewers and we we can move up. Yeah, then we can get that 13th man slot on the bench <laughs> and kind of move up from there. <laughs> okay, so we got some work. We got some work to do, man. <laughs> Escrow in the building, behind the gun, shooting. LJ, what up? On the boards. Got the whole team in here. Um, yeah, man, so you know we like to kick it off with a little bit of current events, or at least one current event per show. But before we get into that, make sure you are following us man on ig and twitter at mad manager show on both platforms and make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast you're rating the podcast and you're leaving us some comments and some feedback and uh what else let me see oh besides rating and commenting we are going to be putting out episodes every tuesday so unlike the rest of the world that wants to come out with everything on Friday, we hitting you every Tuesday. So you got time to, you know, on your commute, on your workout, on whatever, you can soak up the game. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to us being able to introduce live calls at some point, too, so we can start answering questions on the air. But anyways, moving forward, today is going to be part four of our rookie playbook, and we're going to talk about the other side of the team that helps you out, the creative side. We're going to start with the first person you meet when the record label relationship starts, the A&R. Okay. Now, when I pulled up on you today, you were in your car chilling out on TikTok. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, I'm just on TikTok. And I was like, yeah, enjoy it while you can. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's going away. Because <laughs> it might not be here that long. And this is why. So uh, in case you haven't heard. And you know I'm new like, this is all new. New information for you. Well, TikTok was all new. Okay. <laughs> I'm just now, like, getting on it. Let me find out what this is about. <laughs> I said it's, it's Instagram to me. Like, just shorter, right? Like, shorter Instagrams, I guess. Well, I guess they're not pictures. Not they're pictures, actually yeah. videos. So. Yeah. yeah. It's like basically, like, it's a longer version of Vine. Vine used to be like 15 seconds, and now they've. TikTok's like a minute, so. I never got on Vine. So yeah. Totally lost it. Vine, Vine so what was happened? just kind of faded. I mean, because I don't think that the 15-second thing was enough for a long period. It was mm -hmm. dope for what it was at the time, but people had to be really creative because you got 15 seconds, you know? And some and certain stuff went viral on Vine, but um, I, but I think when IG came with the, the one-minute videos, they kind of just smacked everybody because it was like, not only do we have pictures, we got video now. What do you need those guys for? Right. Which is why I'm surprised why Snapchat is still a thing. Yeah, yeah that's why I was getting that. So what about Snapchat? They got porn. So that's why. Yeah, it turned into a – I heard it turned into a little – Yeah, it's a place for you to have extracurricular activities. But I don't know if that's going to work too much longer because now they got OnlyFans out there for girls who like to do that kind of stuff. Or guys. You know, oh, it's called OnlyFans. OnlyFans, yeah. And that's a you got girls out here buying houses off of OnlyFans. And they posting like videos and, and what's pictures. OnlyFans. So if there's a girl who looks dope 
and she happens to be an OnlyFans girl, she'll probably have it in her bio. You go to the link, you subscribe, you got to pay a fee every month like HBO or, you know, Cinemax or something, and you get pictures of her, videos so of her. So it's like a website? It is a website, yeah. Now, they, the OnlyFans is like, yo, we made this for people who were fans of people doing anything, singing, you know, working out, whatever. And like, yeah, I, I get it, but they're not mad about the fact that it's blowing up off of what it's blowing up off of. And, I, hey, man, you know, more power to you. They're making boatloads of money. I know that much. But you already got OnlyFans pages you got for that. You, you're right. But this one, I don't know. It's a it's a strange thing, but yeah, that's so that's what's you know going what I'm on. You got the other, yeah. I mean, you do, but I, for whatever reason, I mean, I guess there always has to be something new to do. So you got that other thing. Uh, well, on, on the subject of TikTok, uh, there's an article that we're gonna go over real quick, which will inform everybody on what's going on. So it says, with just 97 days until the 2020 presidential election, Byte Data, I'm sorry, Byte Dance own video sharing application. TikTok is facing more scrutiny than ever from U.S. lawmakers and government officials. And rumors of a potential stateside ban are becoming, excuse me, increasingly prevalent. The controversial app has long been the subject of privacy concerns, including from litigants, the government, and individuals in America and nations throughout the world. To be sure, the Indian government cited a desire to protect its citizens' personal information when it banned TikTok and 58 other Chinese apps late last month, a move that prompted ByteDance to predict that it would suffer a $6 billion loss. Also on the international front, Japanese lawmakers recently floated the idea of banning TikTok because of its considerable security threat. Domestically, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo stated earlier this month that the Trump administration is, quote unquote, looking at a possible TikTok ban. And White House advisor Pete Navarro indicated that the federal government will take strong action on the app. Twenty five members of Congress also signed a letter urging President Trump to take strong action to stop the, quote unquote, uh, communist Chinese Communist Party's sophisticated espionage campaign against our country. Today, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin confirmed that TikTok is formally under review by the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, a Treasury-chaired committee that assesses the national security risks of foreign companies and investments. Plus, Secretary Mnuchin confirmed that the CFIUS will provide the president with an official recommendation pertaining to TikTok later this week. In this vein, TikTok owner ByteDance is reportedly seeking an American buyer or buyers for the application. The sources with the knowledge of the matter have revealed that current bids are valuing TikTok at a whopping $50 billion. We got to make an app. At the time of this writing, TikTok and the companies that may be exploring an acquisition hadn't commented publicly on the talks. Notably, Peter Navarro previously suggested that ByteDance's selling the app to U.S. investors wouldn't prevent a ban, in addition to calling the platform's stateside CEO Kevin Mayer an American puppet. Seemingly... In response to criticism, Kevin Mayer published an open letter this morning and, a, and much of the approximately 800-word-long message addresses the government's security-related criticism. He says, 
We believe it is essential to show users, advertisers, creators, and regulators that we are responsible and committed members of the American community that follows U.S. laws, wrote Mayer. We will not wait for regulation to come, but instead TikTok has taken the first step by launching a transparency and accountability center for moderation and data practices. Dan, Dan, what do you think about that? Cricket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, it's like big bank take little bank here, you know. Um, you know, I don't know enough about the program. I, you know, I don't know what what's the difference between them and the others that whatever they could be doing. I guess because the others are American companies. They're American companies, yeah. So they don't care if they're spying. Right. <laughs> but you won't. But then TikTok, what what do they have to gain to spy on my son, you know? You never know, man. I mean, they were talking about all the different types of data that they were collecting, and they were definitely picking up on some stuff that had you like, wait, why do you know about what's on my notepad, and why do you know about oh, this, so that, and it's, third? It's, it's, it's in your – once it's in your phone, it starts – it starts to pry into other areas, apparently, from area what they're accusing them of, yeah. So, I, I don't know. I mean, what's the prediction? You think they get knocked out of here or you think they survive? Oh, they can definitely get knocked out of here. I'm, You know, if they – I mean, if they get enough votes, it'll just be quick because I used to play online poker, you know, and they used to let you gamble on it. Yeah. You know, Bush canceled that. Now, the rest of the world, you can still gamble, but not here in the United States, like nowhere. I remember people looked like they were having a ball playing online poker back yeah, in the day, too. Yeah, it, it, was, it was fun. And now you couldn't, you, you know, they because they would not pay, I guess there's some back taxes or, you know, they wanted a, basically a fee for it. And they said, no, nah, they weren't going to do that. And so they said, well, we're going to shut you down. And like, yeah, go ahead. And they really did. <laughs> yeah. so, so it is a flip of a switch. When I say it was just boom, you were done, you were done. If Biden wins, I think they survive. If Trump is going to be in office, I think they're out of here. Cause they might even with Biden. I mean, yeah, when we, when they call your because they tried to hire an American CEO to kind of kind of put a band aid on what was going on. Yeah, but and when they call him an outright, when somebody calls you a puppet publicly, that's not a good look. No. So then they go back and say, okay, I'm gonna take the other side now. Yeah, that's not. I don't know, man. Like like, hey, if you're a TikTok fan, man, enjoy it while you can. Cause in about a hundred, what they say, hundred and twenty days or something until the election. Yeah. You might be done. What election? Yeah, I know. Another story. <laughs> I, I was hearing he was trying. I was hearing he was trying to move it. Exactly. What election? They tried to postpone it. <laughs> we don't even have elections. Matter of fact, I'm the king. <laughs> that's what that's what we do up here now. <laughs> you gonna change the date? Then the date gets postponed. And, I'm, I'm telling you. You know, because you know it's it's getting closer, and Corona. Events are going higher and higher and higher. So, you know, the perfect storm, right? Yeah. You're going to make sure it's the worst by the time election comes. I mean, man, by the, if you would have asked me pre-corona what was going to happen, betting man, I'm like, Trump got it. <laughs> corona hit, I'm like, ooh, that man might be out of there. <laughs> I don't think you got it, bro. I think you out of here. Because, I mean, even with everything that's been going on, I just felt like, I was like, man, that man got it in the bag because they don't—they don't have nothing to stand up to him. And then, you know, Corona, then George Floyd, then it was yeah, just like—it was like a storm of 
So Biden, if you win, you got a lot of outside help. It was like if Biden wins, it's like in wrestling when the manager come in with the chair and hit the dude and then slide out the ring and the ref count one, two, three. That's what just happened right now. You ain't earn this one on your own, bro. It took, it took, it took an act of God. For yeah, you to win. it really did, man. But yeah, man. So uh, all right, man. Rookie playbook part. Four now, so we went through attorneys. The no, first we went through our job managers, mm-hmm. then we went through attorneys, then we went through agents last week, and then now we're on the other side of the fence. The people who help you make the music, help you come in the label, uh, you, and and, uh, and and that whole team of people. So the first person that we'll start with is the A and R, who a lot of times will be the very first person to reach out to you or connect with you from the record label. So, Denny, can you please tell the people what an A&R is, what their role is, and what they do? If I don't know, then what? Then we need to stop having this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, First, I guess, what is A&R? Artists? And repertoire. That was one of them. What's the other one? Oh, there was another one? Damn near the same thing you said. Artists Artist. and relations or something? Artists and relations. Okay. So, <laughs> I guess it depends what company you're in. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's usually the first person. Well, man, it's got so much. It's, should I start from the old yeah, I think it's version impor- of it? I mean, it's. I, I think know, it's, it's important for people to know what the job is when it's being done right. Versus what you're seeing now, because if you see, if you're introduced to what an A and R is now, you you're gonna have a, like a distorted view of what it is. Right, and and it's I guess it's it's leaving out stuff now and the added stuff that seemed like other people would do. So let's talk Motown era. You know, the golden age of soul music. You had an A and R that worked at Motown. What did that man oh, do? Okay, so that would be the guy that probably kind of like in sports a scout. You know he. He's out there pounding the streets. He's in the clubs. He's, you know, he's at the radio stations. He, he's just hanging out. You living know, the life. Living the life. And then all of a sudden he comes upon some singer, you know, at some diner. And he's like, oh, they got a little something going on. So he would come up and bam, flash his card, right? Hey, I, I work at a label and I like what you do. I would like to hear more of what you do, you know. And back then, you know, everybody didn't have demos and cassettes and all that. That was pre-that. So then they would have to have bring you into a session, basically, and have you come and sing, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, sing or play or if you're doing both, you know, perform in that um, in that arena of a studio. So and there then, was a cost associated just with finding out yeah. that people were good enough back yeah, in the day. Yeah, it was a cost associated if you didn't have a studio. Most of the labels and even indies then started off being a label because they had a record store and a in the back room they had some type of recorder. Yeah, yeah. So they could actually make, you know, at least make a recording. Yeah. So they they did that and they would come in and then he would, you know, basically cut something so his boss could hear you. Sometimes mm-hmm. maybe the you know Barry Gordy would be there, but most likely he wasn't. He was, you know, you got some songwriters and some producers who who would get to hear you sing. And then if they were feeling you, the A and R's was like, okay, you know, I want to hook you up with, you know, Stevie and you know Smokey Robinson. Smokey yeah. Robinson, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you go in there and, and see what you can cut. Then then they cut a record or cut some 
a bunch of stuff, you know, a couple of sessions. Then they would turn around and then Barry would hear it, say, oh, I like that. Yeah, I want to meet the person. Mm -hmm. Then you go from there. Other times, you know, they would go out to, um, or they would set up talent shows, which were big then. Yeah. You know, local talent shows were big. You either had a promoter doing it or a promoter doing it with somebody, an A&R of a label. So basically, if somebody's popping on there and was really, you know, winning every night, because you couldn't just win one and then you get the grand prize. You had to win a few times. Yeah. You know, and then... Then that guy would come up and tap you on the shoulder, you know, or the guy there um, who's giving the talent show would say, hey, I want somebody to meet you. So that's that was the beginning job of what they would do. And then once you got signed, mm-hmm. that's kind of like their baby. You're the project. He's like your project manager, sort of. You know, he's actually at this point, he's already hooked you up with some writers, probably will hook you up with more writers to mm-hmm. get your sound. It'll hook you up with whoever if they don't have one in the label, but somebody to work on your look, your image. You know, he's kind of ringing all that to make you the star that you have to be to get out, you know, into the public. So he's hooking up everything that acquires that. So uh, if you need singing lessons, you know, yeah. you know you, you're not really, you know, developing your chops right or you need um, uh, media training. Yeah. You know, he's really orchestrating all that yeah yeah i i think uh so so what we're getting at i think is that originally when the a and r position was created and when the a and r position is still being done right now the a and r needs to be somebody with some measure of talent and they have to have some measure of good ears basically yeah that's what i was about to go into he's definitely the person who's making those moves based on your ability so he's saying hmm I think they'd be great crooner, you know. Again, let me hook them up with Smokey. So somewhat yeah. <laughs> of a visionary as well. They yeah. have to be some. They have to be able to kind of see what's not yeah. there yet. And a lot of those were DJs from radio stations, or you know, just local DJs, or they were musicians themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, they had something musically inclined about them, where they are. They had the ability to notice talent. Right. You know, and and notice what can be done with the talent. And so, um, you know, you you move that forward, and it started changing in kind of late 80s. Mm -hmm. It changed because a lot of the labels were signing acts with producers who were, you know, or songwriters who were bringing these acts in. Okay. So they, they did a lot of the preliminary work already. They got the songs ready. You know, they got the kind of the image the way they want to go. So now the point, the A&R person really didn't have to have that skill. They still had to have the second part, which we'll talk about, of, of the relations. But um, the the front front load of it, they didn't have to do. Okay. Because, you know, Barry said, hey, uh, Stevie found Dinah, and I like Dinah. So now he'll point at you, A&R, go get some hits on her. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you 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 sitting around with Stevie, going through Stevie's songs, listening for that one. Yeah. You know, that's your job at the moment because right. you didn't have to do the rest of the stuff. Stevie kind of hooked it up. So mm-hmm. so th- that was happening more in the 80s because more of that was happening opposed to you out there looking for it. You know, it was already coming in. Okay. So so then you're 
it started becoming more desk job driven because then you had to, uh, as you know, you know, the credits and uh, you got to gather and uh, the budget, you know, make sure they stayed somewhere within budget. You know, you had a lot of responsibilities, which took you more out of the creative side. You're still there, but you're not there. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like you, you sitting there adding on, you know, oh, they went, you know, $1,000 of budget. How am I going to get Barry to, you know, now, <laughs> take on this cost without right, getting pissed off? <laughs> right. Okay. So what we're saying is originally your A&R out the gate when, when it first sprung from the soil, your A&R was a talent scout, somewhat of a visionary, and it was his job to be out there looking for the latest and the greatest. Yeah. Then as we progressed into the 80s and people started coming in with producers who could deliver songs for them and writers who could de- deliver songs for them, you having to make that connection for them wasn't really as important. So now you could slide somebody in that position that had a little bit more administrative skill than creative skill or at least maybe balanced on yeah. both sides. Yeah, I, I think in the 80s you had to still be more balanced. Like you still had those other skills. I agree. You know, because you, you, know, you might say, mm, this song needs a remix. Because you couldn't suck back then, no. right? Like, Oh, no, 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 no. Because the other labels... It's like the label depended on that A&R to be on point. That's that's how I tell people all the time. When you when you think about the A&R department, it's like in a technology company, it's the R&D department, research and development. Right. If we're not if Apple does not have a strong R&D department, we don't get good products. And if we don't get good products, the company tanks. Exactly. So what marketing, sales, promotion, all those companies come second behind the people who actually make the product. Right. You know? and, and find the product and find the talent. So, right. They had to be on it along with their administrative skills. So then the balance started happening, right? It's like, oh, he's great at administrative. He's really, he ain't got much of an ear or nothing, but he can babysit. So now the A&R is a babysitter. He goes in, they're in the studio. He's making sure everybody's cool at the studio. The food comes on time. You know, it, it starts straying away from if he even had the skill of music. To start it to does he have the ability to facilitate, basically? Because if you're it, at the studio and you're just making sure the food's there and that we have an engineer and that we submit the invoice on time, you kind of just facilitate. Right. You yeah, you start turning into a facilitator. So I think even if you had the skill to do it, it's like when do you do it? You're gonna tell the producer he's not wrong. I mean, some AR did, they did have that level of power. Yeah. But then it was others. They didn't feel like they had that level of power. You gonna tell Babyface this song ain't right? Yeah, I mean, I guess you gotta pick and choose where you, you know what I'm saying. You know, it's like you're not gonna argue. You ain't R for Quincy, and you sitting there saying, "Oh man, Quincy, I don't know. I just don't know if you got." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, need one more song on this Thriller album. Just one more, and he's looking at you like, "Man, get up." Yeah, I, I, it's definitely a pick and choose type of situation. Like if you went in with certain people. Yeah, you you're not gonna be making certain kind of comments, or if you do, you're gonna make them in a very respectable way. Exactly. You know, you, know, you might try to say something. You hoping the producer to say something. You know, right. and then you go, yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, because sometimes at one point they valued the A&R, and the producer would say, "What you think?" And the A&R is listening for the label. Yeah. So they were like, you know, and I think some of them are still trying to do that now, but they don't have the is no respect there from the artist and the producer now. It's like, who are you? Yeah. I you th- know, all I can see is you go get food all day and 
tell the boss when I'm over budget. So when when exactly do you think because we we are leaving it at the 80s when the A&R at that point still was somewhat skilled. Right. You know, he might have had to do a little bit more paperwork than he used to have to do, but now he's but you know, he's still somewhat musically inclined. When did you think we took that dive off the cliff to where the 90s. A&R became 90s? Yes. So the A&R became a joke really in the 90s. Yes. Okay. Yes. I I think I think the workload it became more about. Yeah, why did they become a joke in the nineties? Well, they were less skilled, so they had less to say. And then, as they had less to say, and the administrative to start taking over, the respect starts to change, and all of it started riding high on producers. You remember, producers started becoming almost as big as artists. Yeah, you know, and some of them did become bigger than artists. So. So then, Teddy Riley again, yeah, exactly. Teddy, you know, all these names Dre, started, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So they just, you know, mega. So nobody's going to tell them what to do, you know. And so you find a lot of the ARs would just then literally just be at the office, you know, waiting on get, getting some invoices. work to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting invoices, and they hire people like that because then they started getting paid less. I mean, how are you going to demand money when you're not making the hits? Yeah. But you know, like I guess, pay less is relative, right? Because well, they, yeah, for the times they still got paid a lot, a but, lot of money. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but you know, some of that became for other reasons. But they, it got really weird in the nineties because they, they actually, they were there. They wasn't really doing the work that you expect them to do, but money was being made. So, so there again, was extra, does it? Take? Right. So now, if I'm Dre's friend, and I, part of reason Dre's there, or you know, or I just became friends with Dre while we was there. I get some level of power, so now it's like you, who could think of Clive, you know, Clive's a little different because he would talk to all his everybody at the label, the artists on down, but mm-hmm. some of them stay on the top, and they can't talk to Dre, but Danny can. So Danny keeps his job because right. Danny talks to everybody at death row, right? We saw, we saw a lot of that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Dan, Danny talks to everybody at death row. That's all we need Danny to do. Just, hey, man, we tell them we need to clear that sample or we need to take that yeah. you know, off of there or, you know, whatever. We have right. to clean up these lyrics. Danny is the job, gets that job. And it's artist relations. It mm. still is artist relations. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of changed from the creative side to – I don't know what you would call that, you know. Um, it, like it's, it's what you said from the relation. It went from being creative to being more relationship driven. Yeah. So so yeah. okay. So so it was the '90s where we took the big leap off the cliff, and I feel like it was, you know, because I came in the game in '03. So whoa. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like. We I can haven't at least even got to the 2000s. Yeah, yet. well, we're in the 90s, so I feel like I'm I'm three years after the 2000s, so I feel like I can interject at this point. And I feel like if we drove, if we dove off the cliff in the 90s, we hit the ground in the 2000s. <laughs> yes, you did. Because because when because I've seen because I mean just think about it. You got now like in the 2000 late 90s, you got you know Puffy's of the world. You know, so Puffy was doing it all right. I'm going well, to make the records. I'm going to A&R the groups. I'm going to do everything. Dancing so, in the videos. So now if you look, but if you look on the records, there's somebody A&R. 
in all those situations, yeah, there's, there's, there's an somebody A&R getting the credit who's there. Who's getting the credit for Who's A&R. not doing anything. No, at this point, Poppy's doing everything at that point, right? Yeah. He's, he's the artist, too. So. You are the paperwork pusher at that point. <laughs> you are truly the paperwork pusher, but... If artist wants to talk to Puffy, probably have to talk to you. Probably got to talk to you. If, yeah. If label wants to talk to Puffy, probably go through you. I don't know. They probably well, call direct. I mean, well, Clive yeah. would Clive's call calling direct. direct. Right, yeah. right. But some of them, you know, they don't. Like, you know, I don't think a lot of people was talking to Jay-Z directly other than the chairman probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But everybody else probably had to go through, you know, no, They got to talk to Dame, man. Yeah, or Dame. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just, yeah. you know. No, I, I, I get it. So... So that power changed. I think some of those things were still necessary. I thought that should have been an added, not the only. You know, that's be like an added skill, you know. Right. But now when you strip them from the other side of the skill, I guess it wasn't, nobody cared because it was working because technically it felt like it was working because of the money being made. So nobody's paying attention to what can be done more efficiently when there's when we popping champagne. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we popping champagne. We oh bar. man, in the nineties, CDs still twenty a pop. Selling you double discs full of trash for twenty dollars, twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> making money, hands over fish. You yeah. know, diamond albums. And, yeah. Come on, man. They making money so much money, it didn't matter. That's why A and R's could even do less and get so much more. Yeah, get a promotion, get yeah. a big contract. Yeah, just as long as you were cool with everybody. Now, as soon as Puffy said, I don't like him, he can't come to the studio no more, then you know you would lose your job. And we know how many had lost. The turnaround on a lot of them was, especially the early ones. Well, that's an interesting point. Because right, you didn't make it through like your first contract, you probably was just out of here and couldn't work nowhere. Well, I think that, that, I think that you just touched on something interesting because – I think part of what might have started to tie the hands of A&Rs when they did have creative ideas was that they didn't want to end up on that he can't come to the studio list no more. So now the A&R is turning into a yes man because he wants to continue to tread water to the next contract. Right. Because that's all it's about. You know, when you work at a record label, for those who don't know, if you're in an executive position, you're probably getting six figures and up. And those paydays are based off of a contract that you sign. You sign a contract like an athlete. Some people even get signing bonuses like athletes. So what you want to do is get to your next contract or or your next renegotiation or whatever it is because if they fire you right after you sign your contract, you get paid for the next whatever duration it is of the contract, whether you you go to work or not. So – that's that. So when people start to get adjusted to that lifestyle of a newer house, a newer car, more attractive people in their lives now, <laughs> they don't want to give that up. So no. it's easier to be a yes man and go get make sure we got Chinese food on time at the studio than right. for me to let you know what my creative inside right, is right, and get saying, kicked out the of record it. Sucks. And that and <laughs> I think that that's part of like why we start to see that we start to see that negative loop of having bad records and you're like, who's around to to do quality control on this, which, exactly. Which was was the A and R person? Which was the A and R person? Right. But now he's scared the to get fired. Because don't care. The producers just trying to get paid, so right. they get their check. If I can milk this one beat for ten thousand artists, you got. Hey, I don't know why everybody likes it, but they do. Right. So right. <laughs> so you gonna give me fifty a track, and you are gonna like it? You know? Can we change it up a little? Why? Why should I change it up? They playing it. Yeah. 
No, I get it. And we we know a lot of producers who basically sold the same beat a hundred times over over the years. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, if that was on purpose or they just didn't know how to make a difference. Well, I guess <laughs> the, the way to, to answer that question is after that era was over, did they come back with something else? <laughs> no. <laughs> then we know it was because you didn't know how to do nothing no. else. But you know, you did have geniuses out of that era. So we did you know, when you go back and think of the nineties, you don't really think about it all being terrible music. I, then to me, producer. the nineties was dope. If yeah. I had to take the nineties over the two thousands, I'm right. taking the nineties every time. Right. And so now, when you think about it, that means the producer being in con- in the control seat wasn't necessarily a bad thing if you had the right producer. Yeah, that's you the know? key, right? Right. right. Producer. Well, that's exactly was it. But then everybody started smelling where the money is because wherever the money goes, that's where everybody wants to do now. Right. So you know, before. We could go back down, 70s, 60s, you know. The artists relied on good songwriters and good producers. Very few could do it themselves as well as somebody who has a skill set of doing it. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they expected that to happen. I sing, you write, you produce. Then later on, even those artists, they were like, well, why are he riding around in the... <laughs> You know, in the brand new Cadillac, and I'm sitting here and just uh, you know, you go. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody knows what a you go is. I don't is. know either, it but is. it sounds like like trash though. Whatever. It was it a is. trash car. <laughs> <laughs> but you coming in there like coming to the studio with that and you're like, Well, what's going on here? Well, you know, you wrote that number one hit you had. Well, maybe I should be writing. No. <laughs> then you can get money for writing from writing hits. And the artists didn't see that. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I need to I need to get a piece of that money. Yeah. And as everybody starts chasing the dollar of that, the quality goes too. Because it's really about me getting getting some of that money. And then they don't realize you don't get the money until it's a hit. Yeah. So you can write all day long by yourself, but just because you're a hit act don't mean you're going to write a hit record. Right. So you just end up just as broke as you was before. Even worse, because now you've put out a bunch of bad records. Yeah. So that started happening a lot in the nineties too. So while you had these great records up there, you had a lot of terrible ones. Okay. And you know, a lot of people won A and R. Then you had A and R people wanted to be producers. Right. Some of them had the skill. Yeah. Most of them didn't. Yeah. But because the guy who had the skill did it, you put that under your repertoire, yeah. right? Well, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna produce some of these records. So. Well, I, I think that that was something that I saw in the 2000s after I came in become really prevalent, where there were producers, there were executives who were getting production credit on records, and then you'd be like, "Oh, that's crazy! I didn't know he produced." And you know, you being know. on the outside, you don't know, right? <laughs> right? But then you find out that really what it is, he got a talented dude trapped in a closet somewhere that's doing everything. And he's worked out some sort of backroom shiesty deal with him where he like, you do the records, you know, I got the name, I'm the A&R, I'm going to put my name on this, and then, you know, I'm going to get 70, you're going to get 30. Right. And because the kid doesn't know the oh, business. Oh, they don't even tell him you, he's getting 70. He's just telling him, I'm going to give you 30. Yeah, here's here's how much the label paying, you know. And if you're getting zero and you're getting 30 to do the record. Right. You was in your mom's house on the couch getting yelled at for doing music. Now you're actually seeing your records come out. And making money. And making money. You, you don't you, care. You think it's cool because you don't know that there's a whole 70 that you're missing out on. Yeah. You know? or well, it, It's 70 you're missing out on, and I think that was part of the hustle. But, again, you still you still say you would do it for 30. Yeah. I mean, I, and, I, I think that there's nothing wrong with that arrangement as long as it's ethical. Right. So, 
is if I tell for the guy to get forty more forty and you get thirty. No, I'm saying he, you getting thirty. He's getting seventy. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's crazy. Oh, you saying forty yeah. more? Yeah. Right, so right. yeah, that's that's crazy. Like yeah, that's crazy because you he's not doing none of the work. And for a plug, even with a manager and an agent getting off of that, they wouldn't get that much. No. So it's like so. if you getting a piece because you work at the label and you have a relationship, that's one thing I feel like in our business we got to do a better job of is taking deals that used to be taboo and arrangements that used to be taboo and putting them out on the forefront and in the light. Because in any relationship, any 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 area of business, if somebody's gonna bring together two major corporations for them to do a big deal, you better believe that middleman's gonna get a piece of that deal. Yeah. That's just good business. That is what it is. Some people are just connectors. That's what they do. They see but not two people. The majority. No. <laughs> but if you but if you're bringing somebody something that they couldn't get otherwise except through you, there's nothing wrong with you getting paid from that because that's work that you did. But Hitting them over the head for seventy percent, and they get thirty. I mean, come on, man, stop right. being greedy. Right, and that's what the greed is. What catches up with them, because then the labels starting to realize that because you know they come off the top sometime and look down there, and now you're not winning, but the bills are still the same. Right, you're still billing them hefty yeah. for the right. And bad so the, you know, so the guy comes down and like, hey, you know, we had a bad year. Can we cut down some of this production cost? Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Matter of fact, I want to meet that kid that made a million dollars of production that didn't have no hit. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I want to meet him. So then he he meets the kid, talks to him. And he was just like, "Yeah, I was glad to meet you, and you know, thank you. I had never made thirty, you know, thirty thousand songs." He's like, "You made how much?" <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Can I speak to Danny, please? Yeah, yeah. yeah let, let he and I speak for a minute. Um, okay, so we went from the 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 origin of the A and R, true talented individual, to the '80s where he became somewhat talented still, but more of a, a paper pusher maybe sometimes. And then the '90s when the money really went through the the roof, and then everybody's kind of compass got thrown off on what they should be doing and how they should be doing it. Then we're in the 2000s Ooh, to now, now era. Now 2000s. 2000 Data to present area. day. Yeah, what are we dealing with right now? You're dealing with a analysis, you know, analyst. He's he's sitting there looking at numbers pretty much. He's online saying, okay, he's got, you know, one million streams on this, you know, this record or views on this record. I'm going to mark him down as, you know, somebody we could look at. And it's all digital now. So now... There's people who are out there who take that, make an algorithm of it, and the computer do it. Oh, this person right here could actually sell X so-and-so, so-and-so, because the nature of the music. In the past, four that? people who were like him sold right. X, X amount. So, right. So right. now you got that guy. And, you know, we used to call them nerds, right? So you got the nerd sitting there. He's still a nerd. Art. He's still a nerd. <laughs> and not a cool nerd either, like, like for real. Nigga, you're not a cool nerd, nigga. You're like a... A weirdo. <laughs> yeah, because for real, the cooter. Right. <laughs> no, so you got those people are A and R people, and they're soulless as you think that it sounds. Like they don't know that the feel of the music, all that. You know, some of them are music lovers, but they music lovers by numbers. Well, I think that that goes to like what happened when we started losing black A and Rs 
in that 90s to early 2000s yeah, yeah, period. Yeah, started losing a lot of them because the departments was closing. The black departments started, We the black executives as a whole started to go extinct. So now all of a sudden you had, you would walk into a rap department at a, at a record label and everybody in the rap department was white. And you have to you have to try to sell them on why you know what you're doing with your music, and then they're going to weigh in on what you're doing, and tell you that oh, oh I no, don't. they're going to weigh in because they're going to type. Yeah, that's what's going to happen now. If yeah, you go yeah, into yeah, a label. yeah. And then they look. What's your name? I mean, yeah. How long you been doing this? Oh man, come on. I, after I after I talked to an A and R recently, and it was it's somebody like going to a bank. Yeah, it was basically <laughs> like to going to a bank. Like, can we see your tax returns? Like that type of thing. <laughs> So I tell them, like, you know, we're talking about the stuff that Joints has going on, and I, I mentioned Khan. And Khan at this time is doing two and a half million streams a month on Spotify. Um, he's beyond that now. But I tell him that in passing because I know that he's not a music person. I know he's an idiot, but I'm just saying it because he's wasting my time having a conversation. I'm trying to get to the end of it as fast as I can. Right, right, right. Because so, you've been around that block. I've, I've, come on, man. I, first off, I'm, I'm not going to talk about black music with anybody that's not black unless you've proven that you're actually like a real respecter of the culture. So right. if I'm talking to like somebody like Alchemist, who's dope, right. Right. then yeah, we can have that conversation. But like you, nah, we're not having that talk. So basically, I tell him about Khan. He stops listening to me while I'm talking and runs to his keyboard. And he's doing exactly what you said. He's typing. Oh, his biggest song had 10 million streams. Let me listen to this. And he, and he, and he clicks the song, and the song is a freestyle that he did a while ago. And it's something that's like, it, it's the highest streaming record, but it's not the reflection of who he is as an artist. Right. But this means nothing to this, this guy. He's just typing it in, and he's looking at it, and he's like, oh, does he have anything else? And I'm like... Bro, I gotta get out of here. Because <laughs> this that's A and R today. This is that that in a nutshell is A and R today if you're not dealing with someone of the culture. And of the culture doesn't necessarily mean black because there are black people who it doesn't just mean black. It has to start there, but right. it does but it doesn't no, just no, mean exactly. that. Because you have a lot of black ARs who also have no skill, and that's where we get into the instead of artists and repertoire, because you have no repertoire, it's now <laughs> artists and relations, right? right. And you have become, it really what it should be is artists in Rolodex. Because you've turned into a Rolodex A&R. I love that. You're better better at making phone calls and showing up courtside at the Lakers game and being at the club at the right time when so-and-so is there than you are at actually making records. So you have no ears. You just have relationships. And and, and I think, again, that's an added skill that you probably would need today if you actually, you'll be, you'll be, an A plus A and R. If you had that skill along with having some ears, oh, you you pay Be- because well because paid. that is a value, you know. And again, if you can chase down mustard because you know where he's at and where he hangs at, and and you, you can get him to listen to, you. and you can get him to listen to you, then you become valuable. That's a skill. That's a skill. And some of them do try to by hanging out. That's when they think they're doing something. And of course, you know, mustard's looking like, okay, who's this guy right here? Okay. Hey, what's up, dude? Hey, AR, it's all your records. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> he got ten of your plaques on his wall. You ain't never met him before. Right, right. Mustard are going to his office, and be like, Damn. <laughs> <laughs> you done a lot of shit. <laughs> Matter of fact, I ain't even got that plaque. Yeah, that's crazy, right? Yeah, no. That I think that that's really turned into to more lately. That's been something that's been emphasized, and I, I think. 
man, it's almost like they need to create a separate division for those guys because they're good at the relationship side of things, but they suck at making records. And they the problem is they keep taking meetings because they know that half of their job is supposed to be finding new music. Right. But they don't know what to do. No. They get they get in the meeting, they can't, they don't know if it's good or bad. That all they can do is try to look at the data. They look at your 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 Instagram followers and yada, yada, yada. Right. And if they don't know what to do about the music, and your numbers are not like shooting through the roof. They'll use that as, a, as an excuse to not sign you, basically. So, but now, now look at this. If you, if you end up, you're the nerd. You, you type it in. You get the numbers you want. You run it through the system, and it works. Mm-hmm. If it works, God forbid. <laughs> now you're a genius, right? Now you, in your brain, is not an emotional thing no more. Oh, it's it, a data it, thing. It's a data thing. Oh no, this is no, this is how it's done. This is how it's done. This this is how I got. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Denzel. You see this 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 plaque here? Yeah. This is the way it's that we got show. that. Was it? <laughs> yeah. We got this from uh from from using data. Right. Uh, Takashi six nine. That I right. mean, we saw the data. We saw the data. This, this is the way that it's you done know, now. And so, you lead that into record after record. Again, what they don't tell you is all the crashes. Right. From using that same method. Right, right. You know, a year, two years from now, that guy is still hanging his, you know, his hat on the one he got. Right. From the data. But it's like, well, how's that data working for you now? Because if it was absolute, you could not lose. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like. If it like... wasn't a human thing for music or talent and recognizing, you couldn't lose. No, but that's you could the just reason. just type it in and bam. That's why it's ridiculous. Like, when you go to certain labels, they actually a particular label in general, they have a a chart for how they want the records to be written. And music is a human-to-human spiritual connection. You like don't, food. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> like sex. Yeah, it's like it's a human-to-human thing. You got to feel it. It's a feeling thing. There is no, like outside of the the structure of what we know of like, you know, hook, verse, I mean, verse, hook, whatever, what happens after that is up to you as the creator. Yeah. And for you to say, oh, it has to be this tempo and it has to be this and that, you're taking the entire feel out of what we do and you're turning it into strictly just a product for you. And that's when you're not of the, the culture or yeah. you don't you don't get it. Yeah. And you at, and then at that point, you're absolutely wrong. You know nothing about art. No. And you shouldn't be making decisions about art. Right. Right. You got lucky because you put some numbers in it and it made sense that time. Right. Just like people could get lucky and find that right artist and don't know why it worked. But- if it was all data, then everybody who wins on one of the talent shows should be selling millions of records. Right. Uh, that same guy that's like six nine, the other guy should win. Yeah. But they don't. Right. You know, and you just you don't know why they're not connecting. I well, I know why. You know, the records probably suck. But yeah, and the <laughs> artists might not be the the viral record that they have might be bigger than them. Exactly. Well. That's a whole nother story where we could talk about records, mm-hmm. you know, between the records and the artists, which one's important. Yeah, who has time. the legs between. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but right now, for the NR person, that that data searcher, you know, working with algorithms is definitely the death of what we, why we hear what we hear today. Yeah. Even down to radio people. You know, that's where they're going. Because yeah. it's the same people. The radio people are chasing what's happening on the streaming services right. now, which is... Come on, man. Right. And, we... and if you don't realize that's just manipulative as radio used to be, 
Right. You know. But it's worse now. But it's worse now. But that's what I'm saying. If you don't realize it's the same thing and you try to go by that, the thing that saved, to me, saved radio or saved, you know, clubs or stuff like that, they were, markets had to figure out how to get the edge on the guy down the street. Right. Now the guy down the street is owned by the same guy. Y'all playing the same records. It's the same record. At the same time. And then you're sitting there saying, well, these records show up well. Duh. You had 200 stations yeah, playing the same thing. Same time of day. Same time of day. Yeah. Of course your data's going to say that. What you think your data's going to say? Yeah, that's, that's why when people <laughs> say numbers don't lie, that's not necessarily true because it's all about the context of the numbers. Like, if I, if I ask you right now, like, how do you feel about uh, – if I took a poll and I'm saying, how do you feel about the job that Barack Obama did as president? And I, and I polled everybody here around the Crenshaw District, and then I go to middle America and I poll – I'm going to get two totally different two, answers. Two different answers. And, and two you, different numbers. Exactly. And if you're controlling those numbers, again, you're controlling the outcome by playing the same record on 200 and something stations. And by the way, when I, when I report the data, I'm not telling you where I polled it. So no. I'm just saying, looks like 48% of Americans disapprove of but Barack it, Obama. But it, I ain't tell you I got that. Yeah, but would it matter even like with the radio? You see what I'm saying? Like if I'm controlling the input, to become the output, then I know what the answer is going to be before I even polled it. Yeah. Nobody's going how could they tell you anything different? All I heard is what you played for those 24 hours every day. Yep. So I only could tell you when you poll me, when you listen to my station, what stands out is to, from the records you play. Yeah. I can't, that other station is playing the same record, so it's going to come up with the same way. Then you're going to look at the data and go, six nines on top. Right. He's going to always be on top until somebody else you've played that much, Taylor Swift or something, becomes up on top. You don't really get a real gauge on it. Yeah. And it's all phony, but they try to now create the consumer, which we talked about before, is that now you created that consumer, you know, just like I think what's, what's the – for the food. Is it McDonald's still the leader of, of restaurants? I don't even know. You know, it's either between that – in and out Chick-fil-A or something, you know. Yeah. But it's still, you know that's not, that's because you're everywhere. Right, yeah. That's the only reason. It's not because people just got to have you. There's a lot of other factors it's, as to why it's working for you. Come but on. You're, you're in, you got the commercials. And you're in you, lower income areas where there's no other real food options or healthier food so options. So if I'm going to eat today I'm, I'm and I, I can't cook, I'm and probably going to go to McDonald's. And I'm limited by how much money I have to spend. I got to go to McDonald's. And that means that McDonald's numbers are going up. So it looks like, hey, they're really popular. But when really, I don't got, I don't have that many good options. So that's maybe why you look a lot more popular. But, okay, so to round everything out, we talked about where A&Rs came from. We talked about when they reached their peak, when they started to crash and burn, and then now kind of where we are now where there's so many A&Rs that are data-driven and, and the, the ones that are talented and actually making connections are – Few and far between. So for an artist now that's listening, and they're like, okay, what? so if I meet an A&R person, what should I be looking out for? What should I know? You know, and even, you know, even smaller production companies bring A&Rs on to, to work with them. You know, independent companies do. So what would be your advice as we wrap up to the artist to say, look out for this when you, you know, if you're looking for a good A&R, they should have these qualities in this era. Well, they should know about the music that you're making. 
Like, they should be about that music. You know, if you're doing rock, if you're doing soul, you're doing whatever, they should be about that. Like, you know, they should have a T-shirt of, of an act that you listen to. You right, know, right. they should know that. If they don't know that, then you're probably talking to a dead horse, you know, that they they really will have no use for you. So, number one, you need to, when you talk to them about your music, they need to be saying things back to you that sound somewhat right. Yeah. That, they, that shows mean, you that they understand. They, they understand. And if, if you're not talking the same language, then it's probably not going to work, no matter if they're there every day looking at you. It's right. just probably no relationship. It's You, as an artist, usually are not looking for an A&R. Yeah. A&R should be looking for you. Absolutely. So if one does find you and he takes interest in you, then I guess that's a good thing if he's actually working at a label that can do something for you. You know, maybe that's what you chase in, you know. But as for his skill set and what he could do for you, the only thing is, you know, he's your contour to a label most likely. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to be polite. If you care about being at a certain label. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if he's the one bringing you in, your relationship with him is going to be a lot different than if he's just facilitating. Right. Because. Uh, like if somebody else brought you in and they he becomes your paper A&R, then you don't have no relationship there. Maybe you should learn to have a relationship but there, but you You, you can't not. force it, though. You either. can't and, force and sometimes it. if his role in this situation is to be destined to be the paper guy, he's just going to be the paper guy. The right. person that brought you in is going to be your champion in the label, and that's what you're going to have the strongest connection with. And now doesn't necessarily have to be the A&R. I mean, with, oh, no, it's with, been some of everybody. Yeah, you got marketing guys that are kind of blurring that line now. and, P and People in publicity. Yeah. It's just, you know, the, the guy for radio, the guy that's digital streaming, you know, everybody's bringing in. And I guess they're getting encouraged to do so. Which is good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what I would add is if you're if – you're, if an A&R contacts you and you're like, man, I wonder if this guy's good, or if you have an A&R at the label and you're like, I wonder look if this guy's good, well, look his name up, but you can get fooled because if he if he put his, if he got his name on a lot of credits but he didn't do stuff, like we know some people who are creative and getting their names on things yeah. without well, doing real work. That. Well, if we're going to, if we're going to go that deep with it, you, you won't know until you actually get signed and it is his doing, you know, because you'll know what type of juice he got as soon as he brings you in. Well, I think I think also you can find out after you're, you're signed because, like you said, sometimes you'll come in and then they'll start to introduce you to people around the label who might not have been the reason why you got there but can still help. Right. So if your A&R gets assigned to you, I think that you should look out for his or her interest level in you, and you're going to know that based off the questions they ask, if they ask any at all. Now, can you which I don't know now, can you, for a signed A&R, can you tell a label you don't want to work with that person? Depends on how much pull you have at the label. If you're a rank-and-file A&R, you have no choice in what you do every day. You're just another employee. And you can be swapped out with another body at a moment's notice. But if you're the guy who, you know, you signed a baby, you can be like, no, nah, I don't want to work on that. And the label will be like, okay. Right. I mean, you winning right now. You're putting points up. I'm not going to make you work on something you don't want to. But if you're in here every day wondering if HR is going to walk in your office and tell you that you don't have a job anymore, then you better work on whatever they give you. <laughs> That's the best thing you could do, you know? So He's out push paper for anybody. Yeah. I'll, you, show, I'll, I'll hang out at the studio all day with him. Yeah, you better make try to make something. I don't care how bad the act is. I have seen terrible acts get at least one record off. So 
you better try to help them get that one record, record off, off, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and if, if you get signed and they assign you an A&R, that person and you can become really close if they're really into what you do. I think that's what it really comes down to. Relationship again. If they, if, yeah, it's all relationship, and a relationship is based off of if they like what you do. Yeah. If they're into you, they, they're probably going to ask you a lot of questions like, yo, you ever heard of this producer, this songwriter? If they're asking you those kind of questions, you might be dealing with a decent person. Yeah, right. Because because they, their brain is turning, and they're like the old school A&R. The, they are, I'm not even going to say old school, they're a true A&R. Right. And they're, they're, their mind's turning, and they're like, man, how can I get this person with this person? Oh, I think they, they would probably hit it off in the studio. Right, right. You know, so I would say now if your A&R does not have any musical skill whatsoever, then don't respect anything that they have to say to you musically. Let them talk to you about data and stuff like that. <laughs> Your but, credits. Yeah, but if they don't know one good songwriter from another or one bad one from another, just politely listen to what they have to say and continue to do what you were gonna do anyway. Okay, so you can't you can't request another one. You can't tell the label, uh, I don't think we are fit. Uh again, it goes back to as how much artist. how much pull do you have? Oh, as the, well, as you a new artist, I guess you ain't got much pull. Well, some new artists. Well, do. so I think if you were gonna ask for a different A and R when you first get signed, it's probably the best time to do it because even though you don't have any pull, you still have like that unlimited potential. Like they haven't seen what you can do yet, right? And they're still excited about you, right. so you might be able to be like, "Hey, man, I'm just not. We're fighting a lot, and it's it's not working. Can you get me somebody else?" And then they they can move. You know, they'll move they move, move you off right. of yeah. Okay. But if you're midway, I mean, you can even fight for it if you kind of like on the shelf because the label might say, "You know what." Cool, you've been on the shelf, and maybe that's part of the reason why. It's because the A and R. So, let's try some. So, yeah, as an, as an artist, man, it's almost like that that thing where it's like if you're gonna go over their head and talk to their boss and request it, you know, just just know that's a bridge you ain't gonna be able to walk back across probably. And oh yeah, be and prepared you know, for that. Yeah, and a lot of A and R's turn into senior VPs of and they don't forget music, and they don't forget. Yeah, they don't forget. And you you at the end of your contract, borderlining and had a hit in a while. Yeah, and you run into him and say, "Wait a minute, didn't you kick get me, me off kicked of off of your project?" And then two months later, I got fired from the label. Ah, politics. Yeah, politics. So, so I mean, look, if you if you if you having a hard time with your A and R and your sign, and you need a fresh set of eyes and ears on you, I think the best thing to do is talk to your A and R directly first before you go and ask for the request. Just tell right. them like, "Hey, I think we we've done all we can, man. Can I, you know, let's right. let's try to figure it out with somebody." And else. make sure you've done all you can, meaning. You know, you got to give them some rope. They should give you some rope. Yeah. To 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 fill you know fill out what you want to do, and then try to and try to meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it's hard. I think the thing that's hard with, especially man with black executives, is that we don't get the rope when we go into the label to fail. And it's just like when you're dealing with a kid who's playing you know little league or whatever basketball, the kids who do really well in sports usually are given a lot of rope to fail when they're young. So they their dad might be the coach and he makes them the quarterback or dad's the coach or somebody and and they Don't make put him on the bench immediately. No, he can make a million mistakes and then what that does is it trains the mind to say, okay, that's okay. Like a mistake is a good thing because I get closer if I'm trying hard to win, I'm gonna get closer to the win with right. each with each right. with each miss, right? But I think black executives have become shell shocked, man, because they get one shot then they get fired. Meanwhile, the rock guy down the hall ain't put up no points in. <laughs> 
10 years. And, and he got he got a raggedy band somewhere in the the Beatles. Yeah, you like, man, what what is going on? But that's that's something that I did see happen. So what it did was it froze a lot of black oh, ANRs and executives to do nothing. Right. Cuz they like, look, if I just show up to work, I won't at least I can keep getting paid. <laughs> but if I sign something and it don't work, they about to kick me out of here. And I right. think that's partly partly of what, you know, held back some of the successes. Is that fear, man? So I was saying. Well, yo, that means your 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 skill gets challenged. It does, but it not in in a super unfair way. Because with it being art, you gotta have room to not get it right. Right, right. You know, right. I agree with that. I mean, you gotta. I you know, I guess it just really depends. I mean, if I devil at advocate, if I think about it, if I'm at the label, I guess it depends. I mean, unfortunately, it's business, right? Right. So, so if we've had a bad year, you know, just like sports, who's going to take that last shot? Right. You, you know, or, right. you know you've been breaking all game. Are you really going to take that last shot? Or are you going to pass it up? And that's got to be up to you. You got to say, if, I, if I'm good at what I do, I'm going to get this, save the label for this year because I get a win, or I'm going to sit back, you know, and just let it crumble. Because I don't want to say nothing. I mean, if you're good at what you do, you should be able to put your, you know, for lack of a better term, balls on the table. Right. So, for me, if I believe in something strongly. But for 350000 For 350000 how strongly do I believe? <laughs> you might be challenging my belief, my whole belief system. And you, you know, said they're like, do I really believe in this artist like this? Do I, do I, do I? I can yeah. lose this check. I can it, lose this check. Man, like, it, no. yeah, it could, it could definitely... Handicap you a little bit, you know, but <laughs> hey, man, this is the game you chose to play, right? So you can't be mad if. if well, to me, you're gonna end up losing the the contract anyway because your label gonna be broke. Hey, and again, and they got to kill, they clean everybody, and we know they're good at ooh, that. They will clean everybody, everybody out, out, boy. Get everybody for get somebody else for half the price. Usually happens right before there. Christmas, right before the new year comes. <laughs> man, they start body start dropping, man. I, I don't know though. I, like I, to me, if I just re up my deal, I'm gonna feel bulletproof though. Cause I'm like, if I lost, but I make three fifty and y'all fire me, y'all basically it's in your worst interest to fire me. Cause now you are gonna have to pay me to stay home. Right. So, ain't like I'm gonna go look for another job after right. you fire me. I'm I'm at the crib using your money to get my label off the ground from the house with no overhead. So it's up to you on how you want to play that. So. Yeah, man, that's that's pretty much that, man. Anything else you want to cover on uh on A and R's before we wrap up, man? Uh, no, I think we covered much, and even beyond that, artist relations, artist relations, artists, artists and roller decks, roller decks. That's a good one. That's the new one. Yeah, I, I man, I, I really think it's acquisition in roller decks because they ain't, they they just out there gobbling up stuff that's already working and getting in the, on the phone to connect it with something. But so, so next label, you're gonna say put that on your. On the on the door acquisitions and Rolodex <laughs> department. A and R. All right, man. Well, that's it, man. This is it for uh, God. What episode seven. seven of the Mad Manager Show and part four of the Rookie Playbook? Make sure that you are subscribed to the show. Follow us on all social media at Mad Manager Show. And until the next episode, this is the Mad Manager Show, the place where we love music. We love the business of music, but we hate the music business. Now. Boom, 103. I tried to get it done in one hour flat.